you will, I'm going to pick up on number four. You say number four what? We're teaching a series called Storms, but still raining, and not raining like water drops, but raining like ruling and reigning like a king. Because I don't know if you've been a Christian any length of time, it doesn't take long to recognize as a Christian, storms come. They do. They come to everybody. And um, one thing that, you know, I didn't learn when I first became a Christian was that storms would come when I was doing good. I mean, for no reason. I mean, I'm doing everything right, you know, because a lot of Christians will do this. As soon as a storm comes in their life, they'll say, Lord, what have I done wrong? And you know, you maybe didn't do anything wrong. And that's super important because a lot of times people get conscious of their own failures and that's not even the reason. We mentioned this before, when you first start growing with God, the Bible said the enemy will come to try to steal the word from you. He'll do that. Pressures will come, tests will come to get you to give up and go, no way. But if we hold fast, we can win. So Romans 8.31 is a very familiar verse of Scripture, whether you're saved or not. If you live in the United States, a couple presidents ago, uh, one of the presidents quoted this verse. But Romans 8.31 says this, um, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and that is written not as a question like, if he is, is he really for us? No, he's basically saying because God is for us is how it's written. Because God is for us, who can be against us or who can successfully stand against you or, you know, you in the middle of a problem? And so when we face a problem, here's one of the big things you need to know in life is you need to get God magnified in your life. You need to make sure you recognize God is for you. A lot of times people shrink right here because when they're doing good, they go, God's for me. The minute they do five things wrong or one thing wrong in their own eyes, they go, God's not for me anymore. And it's not true. I said, as a matter of fact, that's not the truth at all. But sometimes we're taught that way, like you do certain things wrong, God is no longer going to be for you as a Christian. But if you go read on past the verses that I read, it, and, and before, it'll tell you things like, Christ died to justify you or make you righteous. And it'll say, who can condemn you? And it'll tell you why God won't and why Jesus won't and why they're for you, even if you've done wrong. So when you're in the middle of a storm, now obviously if you're perpetually doing something wrong, you should adjust that. That doesn't mean God is not for you and does not mean Jesus is not for you. But if I'm about to go in a submarine, I want to make sure all the hatches are closed. Seems like a good idea. You know what I mean? Oh, I like fresh air. Keep the top one open. Dive, dive. You're in trouble. You know what I mean? So we want to keep the doors closed, but that does not change that God's for you. And if you read the context, you'll recognize before and after, man, 
The Lord is totally for me. He has made me clean. Somebody said, yeah, but I just did something yesterday. He's made you clean. Somebody said, well, okay, this morning. Oh, well, that's a different thing. No, it's the same. Sometimes Christians are like this. Something long ago, God surely could forgive that because it's so long ago. But when it's near, maybe not. I, I got to move forward a little bit, prove it to him that I really mean business with him, then surely he'll forgive me. No, he's for you regardless. If you're a Christian, God is for you. He doesn't want you to do wrong because wrong would open up a door, right? I mean, you go read through the Bible and you can recognize that all day long. God is for you. That's the first thing you need to know when you're in the middle of a storm. God's for me and wants me to win. Some storms you just have to endure. The Bible said we're to endure hardship as a good soldier. Some things, have you ever noticed, you just kind of stay with it and it just sheds itself. Anybody ever been there? But then there's other things you've got to do something. And even in those storms, there are things you should do. Like one, magnify God. Make sure you realize he is totally for me right now. You need to, because in those storms, there's going to be pressure. And they're going to say, this is big, bigger than God. And it's not true. Notice this in Matthew 15 or 14. We're going to look at a story that we've looked at in this series a couple times, and maybe we will again. But there's a couple of principles we've not talked on. I don't know if I've talked on them for a long, long time. But they're real helpful in life when you're facing something. In Matthew 14, 25, it says this. Uh, now, when they had preached... Matthew 14, 25, that was Acts 14, 25. They weren't preaching yet. Jesus was preaching, drove away the multitude, and sent them to the other side. So Matthew 14, uh, 25, it says, now in the, I don't know if we should start. Let's go back to verse 24. But the boat, let's go back further. Well, I don't know. I don't want to read everything, but maybe I should. Well, just to make it so I don't read the whole thing, we'll start in verse 23. After Jesus preached and sent him away, the multitude. And when he had sent the multitudes away, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, now he's already sent the disciples in the boat, this boat to this, the other side. Jesus isn't with him. He's praying. Verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. This should tell you right now, they're in the middle of the will of God and a storm hit. The Lord told them, you go over there, I'll catch up. And they're doing God's will, laboring to do God's will with a wind at their face. And it's interesting. It says, but the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, and the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, so real early in the morning before the sun came up, it, uh, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now another story 
you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and different ones wrote this same thing. And so when you read, it says he would have walked right by him. He's walking on the scene, just going to cruise right by him. It says here, though, in the fourth watch, as he was walking toward them, in verse 26, it says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke in verse 27 to them saying, be of good cheer. You know, that's always God's message when trouble comes. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But here he said, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. Verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. What did Peter do right then when he saw Jesus? He asked for a personal word for the situation he was in. He got direction from the Lord. Notice nobody else got this direction but the person who inquired. All of them screamed. One asked, Lord, if it's you, because he just said it's him, you command me to come. Well, he kind of put Jesus in a spot, but at the same time, if you know Peter and know some of the other disciples, when they recognized he was the Messiah, they were wanting to do miracles. They were wanting to live in the supernatural. And here he said, if it's you, command me to come. So Jesus said, come. It's a four-letter word right there in the Bible. Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What made him go from being in the boat to out of the boat and to try to do something that's impossible in a stormy condition? He, what changed him? He asked for a word. What was it that was going to make him be an overcomer in the problem? A word from God. Now, I'm not talking about getting a prophecy from somebody. That could come, but you have to judge all that. I'm talking about a real personal word from the Lord to him. And really, in life situations, whenever we face a problem, we need a word too. And what did he do? He literally started walking based on that word. Verse 30, uh, verse 30 says, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out to the Lord, Save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There is a lot in there. Because you think about it. He starts doing the impossible based on a single word. He starts overcoming circumstances. And he had a personal word that nobody else did. And remember this. Remember how it starts? Jesus was walking to them on the water. Remember I said whenever you get into a 
trial or a test, you need to magnify the Lord in yourself. Think big about the Lord. Well, what made Jesus or Peter here change his attitude in this storm? And, you know, once he says, I'm seeing a ghost, oh no, to, hey, how about walking on the water? Because he went, this is Jesus. He started magnifying him in the middle of the storm. He went, this is the Lord. Wait a minute. If this is the Lord, I could get a word and have a miracle like he's having right now. Because if you go read the life of Jesus, he wasn't just the miracle worker. Matter of fact, he was always encouraging the disciples to go out and do the same miracles. And, uh, but he wasn't just for the 12 doing the miracles. There were 70 more that he trained up to go do miracles. And then there was one guy we can read about in the Bible. He wasn't trained or nothing, and he was doing them the same way. And so the, the disciples said, we forbade him from doing it. And Jesus said, why'd you do that? In other words, Jesus was not closed up to other people doing miracles like it should have just been him. As a matter of fact, when he left, he said, if you use my name, you can do the same things I do once I'm gone. I'll show up when you command in my name, and I will work. Well, what's interesting here is he starts being totally conscious of Jesus, and then a word from Jesus, and he's walking on the water now. I mean, flat out walking on the water. How come? He magnified Jesus. He accepted a word that came from him, and he acted on the word. When he quit acting on the word, somebody said, what do you mean he quit acting on the word? His little faith was this. He got focused on the problem. He know, I mean, think about it. Jesus wasn't sinking. They were familiar with how big God was at this point in their life and all the mighty miracles and people being raised from the dead and all different kinds of things. They're watching this, but now he got fixated on the storm and he quit magnifying God and the problem started getting magnified. He had been acting on a personal word and it was working up until that time. And then he started going down. And I believe, you know, that like the Bible said, these things are written so we could learn from them. Not just so we could go, oh, if you're perfect, you'll walk on water. No, I'm pretty glad it was Peter because we just already know fundamentally, out of all the disciples, he's not perfect. <laughs> Flat out. So to have a bumper sticker that says, if you think you're perfect, try walking on water, we should just know fundamentally that's foolish. You know what I mean? I mean, if there was a disciple, you never heard anything bad about him. They never did anything wrong, and they walked on water. We might think, okay, you know, maybe perfect. Peter, no way. Just no way. And so, and I'm grateful that the Bible puts his failures in there. Because you recognize God didn't change toward him. And we're just like him. God doesn't change his opinion toward us. And so what happened? What, what made him shrink? Somebody said, well, it was his little faith. Well, 
if you look at it at face value, you might think, well, he needed more faith. But his little faith made him walk on water for a while. And I don't know how long, if it was two or three or four or 10 or 20 steps. We don't know, but he was walking. And I don't know about you, like if you've ever gone to the lake and you go to step out and to test this, that first step when you step out and touch the water and go under is not you beginning to walk on the water. Period. That's you sinking. Not beginning to sink. Flat out sinking. He began to sink. That's an interesting thing. So he's going down as he's walking. And it didn't start this way. Little faith we know from looking at other scriptures. Little can mean the length of time you use it, not the measure of the faith you have. You with me? As a matter of fact, there's a story about the sower sowed the seed, and he said there are some people who only hold on to the word for a little while, and when storms, persecution, trials arise because of the word, they give up. Notice it's the same condition Peter did. They, he focused on the storm, the problem, and he went, oh no, this is huge. He quit magnifying God and didn't stick to the word God gave him. So what can we learn from this today, from Peter's experience, and what would be applicable for us that, that we should do ourselves? Well, the first thing Peter did in those troubled times was he got a word from God. What you could say is he got a rhema from God. You say, well, what's a rhema? It's, it's a Greek word. And there are two words when it comes to the Bible. One is logos. Like, you know, there used to be software out there. You know, if you wanted to study the Bible, you know, it's called something logos. And it's the study of the written word. But there is something about the written word and there is something about the spoken word. And the word spoken or spoken word is literally the word rhema. And there's a difference. And any Christian who's ever been around for a little while, you've had an experience with a rhema word from God. Say, what do you mean? A spoken word. Somebody said, well, I haven't ever heard an audible voice from God. Well, that's not what that word means. It's a word that gets quickened or comes alive to you. You ever been reading and all of a sudden a word goes, oh, whoa, look at that. And it covers a situation. You could get a rhema word from God. Not a word that you hear in these ears, but you hear inside. And it's not so much that you hear God speak to you, but as you read through different scriptures, all of a sudden one seems to be quickened. You know, Sunday night services here are pretty awesome. They're totally different, not to downgrade Sunday morning, totally different from Sunday morning. They're more of a believer's type meeting, so they're different at different times. A couple weeks ago, uh, I started reading a script set of scriptures, and it came alive. And I even asked, and you know, we usually only have these two sections where people can sit. 
And uh, the more I talked, you could just sense it way deep down inside. It was like, Ugh. like it was alive. You're like, whoo, yeah, but why? I mean, I wasn't up here dancing, so nobody should have been cheering at that point. And if I was, you wouldn't have been cheering either. You would have said, get him off the stage. But seriously, something was going off. God was dealing with people. I even asked, how many of you notice that deep down inside? Well, that means it was quickened. It was made alive inside. And uh, the other day, actually, we do Tuesday and Friday prayer. These are not like announcements like subtle, like I got to get there for that service or prayer. But Tuesday at prayer in the morning, same thing happened. We read a verse of scripture uh, or maybe it was two Tuesdays ago, and we read this one scripture, and it was like that inside. Man. And we read just the first part, and it said, you know, it was the beginning of this verse, it said, it shall come to pass if you do this, 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 and this, and this, and this will happen to you. Well, as we read, it shall come to pass, it was like it was standing there by itself and there was just such a strong witness. It shall come to pass because it says now it shall come to pass. And we just started reading it. I read that thing, I don't know, 40 times. It shall come to pass. And I'm like, does anybody notice that? And people were like, yes, you're repeating it. No, I mean, it was, it was going off on the inside. It was becoming a rhema word, a living word to you. And, you know, when you're facing a problem, you know, people say, get scriptures that cover the problem. Read them to yourself. Declare them over your life. But also, as you're reading them to yourself, you'll notice uh, some of them will seem to come alive inside. That's a rhema word. That's God taking that logos, that written word, and speaking it or quickening it to you. You should... Circle it, put a star by it. If you got notes, do something where you recognize that is a rhema word so you can go back and go, that's what God spoke to me. Not in an audible voice, but quickened it in you. And you're like, yes. Why would he do that in you? Because a word spoken from him in the spirit is one thing. Even this word that came from God, because the Bible said Jesus never did anything unless he heard or saw God do it. So God gave him that word to give to Peter. What did Peter do? He took that word and acted on it in the natural, and it started coming to pass. In our lives, we need a rhema word sometimes for certain things. And what you need to do is get promises that cover your situation. And then when certain ones do stand out, mark it, notice it. And maybe every time you read it, it won't be like that. But once it's quickened in you like that, you should then take that like when God created the earth and begin to speak to the darkness. Take that word and begin to speak to the problem, speak to the situation. Why is that? That unseen word from God has ability to come to pass and work in your life. And so where did he fail? Where did Peter fail? Well, he failed because he didn't magnify God and he didn't magnify that word above what he was presently facing. 
So what we need to do is we do need to get a rhema word at times in our lives when we're in a situation. You with me? Find promises, then read those promises, and if nothing stands out, read them tomorrow and declare them. But when certain ones stand out to you, most Christians, once you start reading your Bible, what I'm talking about should be familiar to you. At some point, you read a verse, and maybe you read it five times before, but you read through a stretch, and one verse went, seemed like it came alive, and you're like, whoa, look at that. And then you try to go share it with somebody, check this out. And they're like, oh, thanks. No, no, look again. And you're getting all excited about this. Why? Because it's a rhema word to you. It's a living word. It's going off inside of you, and you've got a rhema word. Well, what should I do with that rhema word? Well, one, if I'm in the middle of a storm, I need to do two things. One, I, it would be good for me to get a rhema word and then begin to act on it. But I need to make sure I uh, keep God big in me. And I've said this before. We're not making God big. You and I are not making God big. Matter of fact, we probably haven't done the best job of making him as big as he is. Our job is this. By him and cooperating with him is really to get an opinion of God for who he really is size-wise, ability-wise, his love for us-wise. That's what we need to do. Because when he returns, everybody's going to go, whoa, he's huge, powerful, oh my, whoa, yikes, that's how I live my life. He won't get bigger when he returns, we'll just see him as he is. Well, we don't need to wait till he returns to get the right opinion of God. That's why we study scriptures. And I'll tell you another thing. If you'll study scriptures and you'll look at the word of God, God will make certain scriptures about himself a rhema word that you can act on. He did that with Peter. One day there was a group of people there and they're like, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And some say this and others this and then he said, well, who do you guys say? And nobody had gotten it right. Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And notice what happened. Jesus commended that rhema word. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that or give that to you, but my father who is in heaven. He was able to grasp onto a reality because of a word that was quickened in him personally. When nobody else, the general community, was not going the right way. They were headed down the wrong path. You couldn't reason into them who Jesus was, but they didn't need that. God himself was big enough and is still big enough to reveal truth to us. And so we can magnify God by truth. He can quicken a truth to you about him. And you can start going, wow, God is big. Psalm 34, notice this verse, is real interesting, but good. Because, you know, sometimes we tell our kids or tell people, man, they boast a lot. They need to quit boasting. 
Well, maybe there is a good boast. And maybe there's a soul boast that's based on the truth. In other words, how I lift God up in my life or how you lift God up in your life based on a, a, a revelation, a rhema word that has come to you. Psalm 34 verse 2 says this. It says, my soul, well, the verse before says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Notice this, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. My soul, my heart, my inward parts are going to boast. Now, when somebody's boasting and you think of somebody boasting, do you think they're shrinking in their opinion of something? That the opinion about what they're boasting about is going down? You know, like, you know, if you got a football team telling you what, we're going to be the best ever this year. Tell you what, I just know I've seen the team. I know what's going on. They are the best in the NFL. And, you know, guys get together and do this, and girls do too, because, you know, there's a lot of girl NFL fans. I'm telling you what, our team is the best. It is the best. They'll get up in your face. I mean, they'll just let you know. Our team, my team, is the best. And wait till we play each other's teams, and you're just pretty much going to get crushed. I just want to let you know so you can get past the hurt right now. Right? Nobody's played. Nobody's done anything. What are they doing? They're boasting. They've got this big imagination. People do it when the lottery comes along, too. They see inside themselves, well, I'll tell you what, I'm winning this. And I'll tell you what, I'm, when I lose, I ain't buying one house. I'm buying 10 homes. I'm going to say this to my boss. See ya. Here's $100,000 and goodbye. You know what I mean? I mean, you're like, I'll be throwing money around, do whatever. I'm going to win $400 million. And you just start imagining how big this is. We serve God. He's bigger than the lottery. And but people make their boast in football. Then as soon as... Their team plays the first game, they get pounded. The next game, they get pounded again. And all the teams are getting beat by, uh, after they play your team, they keep losing. Then your friends come up to you and you what happened to your, all your boasting? If you're making a boast, it's because you believe something is big. You believe in the ability of it. Isn't that right? And you're, if you're going to make your boast, your boast won't shrink unless what you're boasting in doesn't have ability. But we're talking about God. And he said, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. In other words, a prideful person will not be real excited about your boast in the Lord. They won't be thrilled. Why? Because they promote self in their own way and not God's way. So they won't get all excited. Well, I just think I can help them. 
well, if you can humble them, and usually that's not a task that you can do. People have to humble themselves. The Bible's pretty clear on that. But notice he said, my boast will be in the Lord. My soul will be this way. Turn to Psalm 44. We talked about getting a rhema word from God, a personal word from the Lord. And how do you get it? Look for an audible voice? No. You look at scriptures, promises. Start reading through them, looking at them, examining them. And then recognize the one that stands out and is quickened to you. There's creative power in that word for you. Write it down. Then you need to make your boast using that word, just like God did. Jesus taught the disciples. You could speak to trees. You could speak to mountains. You could speak to problems. But you need a rhema word. Now, you can, I believe, use the general word. But it's sure nice when a word is quickened and you have that assurance inside and you're like, yes. As a matter of fact, if you go read uh, the heroes of faith, it, what people call the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, there's one person after another, after another, after another, after another uh, that did mighty acts and miracles in God. And it said they did it through faith. Go look at them. Lots of them had rhema words from God. Go build an ark. Leave the country you were in. You know, constantly they were hearing from the Lord what to do, how to do it, and how God would be with them. Some may not be specifically in there, but it's said by faith, and we know faith only comes by hearing. And so they were hearing and acting. And they were acting on the word of God. And they all walked in victory. And it's quite interesting after he gives that example, he tells us in Hebrews 12 to look unto Jesus, see him as God for you. And on your side, he calls him the author and the finisher, fulfiller of your faith. And he basically was telling us, just like they won and they got victory, they got it through the faith, you look to the Lord. Make sure you keep your eyes on how big the Lord is, how he is, on and on. And also look to him for the truth, a word. And like I said, it may not be inaudible and it probably won't be. But you can get the word quickened to you. And if you'll just be diligent to spend some time in the Word, hearing the Word, I mean, you could have got a rhema word already today. And I wouldn't know unless the Lord revealed to me, you could go, wow, that one scripture right there keeps standing out. That's big. But notice this in Psalm 44, and then you take that word and you do something with it. You adopt it as your own. Just like Peter did when he went, I can walk on water now. The Lord gave me a word. Not only is the Lord here, but I've got a word here. Now I can act on this word. And it was working until he quit magnifying that. 
And so Psalm 44 is a step further than magnifying the Lord in your soul. It's taking those words and those things and then proclaiming them. Notice this. And in God, we boast all day long and praise your name forever, Selah, or think about it. Stop and pause and contemplate this truth. That's what that means. So when he said stop and contemplate here, what does he want you to stop and contemplate? He wants you to contemplate that you should boast all day in the Lord. What if you were going to get thrown into a fire and the Lord said, you will not be burned. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that worked. I'd be boasting all day. Give it a shot. What, what about Elijah when he called down fire? When he said, you guys pray first. Those guys with the false gods, they kept praying and praying and praying. And he made fun of them the whole day. Where is your God? Is he on a far journey? In other words, why isn't he answering you guys? And he's making his boast in his God, our God, the true God. And he said, where is he? Is he on a long journey? One translation said, is he in the bathroom? And they're working themselves up and it's just him. And he just said, whoever's God answers by fire he is truly god we follow him well what did he do when they got done he boasted even more he's all right guys uh you see how they have this little altar uh, go ahead and dump water on it just just cover it with water i mean if god's going to answer by fire go ahead and do that then he prayed and it said fire fell well, what was he doing up until then? He was boasting in God. He was believing the God he served is the God we serve, and he is for him, he's for us, and he's like, listen, we got this, I got this. And so he boasted. And here he said, boast in the Lord all day long. Well, how do we boast? We think big about God. But then the other side is, if you have a living word from God, you can boast in it. If you've got a word that you found in his word that's alive to you, you can boast in it. Now, I believe you can boast in any of the written word. Because the written word is the written word. It is God's word. But how much more when he quickens something to you, can you do that? Let's close here with this verse in Ephesians 6. And, and it's in the context of wrestling and fighting and standing against the problems of life. And uh, a lot of times people know these verses because they are really fascinating just to read them. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a natural fight. Therefore, your weapons will not be natural. Then he talked about having a sense of righteousness about you that the Lord has made you right with him. And he talks about truth and, you know, different things. And then when it gets done, uh, it says in Ephesians six seventeen, it says, and take the helmet of salvation or 
take up salvation, because the helmet is a picture of something, but he said, take up salvation or this mindset of salvation. And then right after it says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that sword of the spirit literally is the word rhema. Take up and start speaking the word of God. But he already said you have truth as a girdle or a belt. Or in other words, you have truth. Out of that truth, God will quicken things to you. If you'll spend time reading, I guarantee you words will come alive. Not where they maybe knock you over, but just inside. It's, it's alive right here. Something's different from this verse to this verse. And God will do that. And he said, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So you could read it like this. And the sword of the Spirit, or the spoken word of God, which is the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, or the spoken word of God. Notice it says, semicolon, praying. You could say it like this. Take the word that's quickened to you and speak it when you pray. Speak it when you're praying. Speak it into the spirit or speak it to a problem. When you're dealing with something, you need to do as the Bible said. Take these rhema words to prayer. God, this is what you said. I believe you are telling me I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. You said it, therefore, that's the facts. And you can declare it. A spoken word, and you say, well, what will happen? It will go into the spirit realm and begin to start working. And if you've got a word, you can look through Hebrews 11. Some things came to pass really fast. Some things did not. It was not an issue of God delaying it. It was an issue of these truths going to work. You with me? But once you've got a living word from God, when you're in a storm, you already know the outcome. Well, if you just have the truth of the word of God, you know the outcome. 